I begin thinking about what I might say on any given Sunday, I take a number of things into account, like the time of the year, what's going on in the life of the church, conversations I've been having, and the assigned readings for the day, of course. I'm also alert to what's in the news, what's going on in the nation and around the world, what's likely on people's minds and what's been going on in my own life. In some way, what we do here should ultimately link up with what's going on in real time, right? In this way, there's a bit of a dance involved in referring to a church as a sanctuary, a place set apart for reflection and contemplation that's markedly different from all the other spaces we occupy in the course of a week. At least that's how it was pre-COVID. Is it a stretch to say that we now inhabit a virtual sanctuary here together for a little less than an hour? That seems a useful way to think about it. But even if we manage to separate ourselves from all of the mundane distractions of our homes while engaging this worship, which is likely next to impossible, but even if when the hour is up, we are right where we've always been, right there, right smack in the middle of our quotidian life. A critique that's often leveled at the church concerns its relevance, as in, well, you know, when all is said and done, does it matter? Does church matter? Does faith matter? Each of us addresses these questions in some form. Virtual church makes it very clear that we didn't check the world in the door at the door of our sanctuary, since our so-called sanctuary today is right where we live. All of the life baggage we haul around is still right there, sitting right next to us on our sofa or at our feet in a big heap. Pre-COVID, people often came to church hoping for a reprieve from the ordinary. That's why a building like ours was built in all of its glittering splendor. We all need a break every now and then, a, a chance to lay our burdens down, in the old way of saying it. That's the comforting part of our worship. Remember, remembering, we are loved and held by the one who flung the stars into space and inflated our lungs with breath in the first place. That is an extremely relevant and important truth for all of us to hear repeatedly since we're so prone to forget it if we ever really believed it. It's especially relevant when the world seems to have spun out of control, like now. But relevance has other meanings as well, as in how our practice as followers after the way of Jesus makes a difference to us, to others, to our wider communities. Non-Christians are always at the ready to say that Christians don't practice what they preach. They don't seem to reflect the life Jesus espouses. And of course, a lot of the time I'd agree with those critics, depending upon where their critique has been aimed. I could even aim it myself and have. For instance, haven't we had a reawakening over these last months concerning the racist history of the church? That white supremacy was 
inextricably interwoven within Western Christianity and provided the theological and so-called moral cover necessary for 400 years of slavery on this continent, whose residue lingered on in Jim Crow, then embedding systemic racism to the present day. We've addressed this in prior weeks, and it'll be part of our future conversation. It's a necessary conversation. And the thing is, we address this not to be topically relevant, but simply to be honest, truthful, repentant, and hopeful about the future. It's relevant because we seek to follow after the highest and noblest God-breathed values, because in the words of our mission, we seek to love God above all things and our neighbors as ourselves, and because God's justice resides at the heart of God's love. Relevant means we're addressing what is, what is true, what is real, what is happening now, today. What's real and true in our individual lives, as well as what's real and true in our families and communities, nation and the world. It is absolutely critical for us to affirm this agenda for the sake of human flourishing. Jesus, our mentor, had razor focus in this way, cutting through the layers of denial and distraction piled up by the countervailing powers and principalities of his day. No one escapes these large and confounding and deadening influences. We certainly can't escape them today. And we can't avoid becoming complicit with these menacing powers by our silence, our lack of engagement, our distracted attention, by averting our gaze when some awful thing stares us right in the face, forgetting our primary allegiance, in fact. I agree with novelist David Foster Wallace, who said this in a college commencement address, often referred to as the best such address of all time. Here's something that's weird but true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty, and sexual allure, and you will always get ugly, feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve for you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths and proverbs and cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness, unquote. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front 
in daily consciousness. And man, is that ever a hard thing, evidently, especially today. Tell me, do we not live in a moment of incredible difficulty keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness? We heard an ancient archetypal example in our first reading this morning. As the story is told, Moses has been communing with God on Mount Sinai, receiving the stone tablets inscribed with the commandments. He's been gone longer than anticipated, so the people begin to grumble that they need a new focus for their allegiance. Moses was returning to them with the ethics of righteous living, or we could say what was true and real. But in the meantime, they got antsy and created a puny god of gold of their own making, a god who was in fact much smaller than themselves, not to mention very much smaller than the god of creation, the author of life. Their choice debased them. And we should read this as though they are every man, every woman, every person. Variations on this story recur over and over and over in the scriptures. It's the seminal theme. You shall have no other gods before me. The fundamental human problem of idolatry. And the thing is, we might say we worship the God of creation whenever we show up to worship, but when it's over, it's another matter altogether. Part of the reason we regularly return to worship involves staying true to our primary allegiance, focused on what is, what is real, what is true. You heard Paul admonish his friends in this way. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Stay focused on what is true and good, the commendable, the excellent. The trick, the trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Friends, again, tell me this isn't wisdom for our time exposing the moral crisis in the, this nation, where a commitment to truth has been trampled to death. Imagine if we had politicians who actually affirmed this wisdom as core to their moral structure. And yes, you know the prime example I'm referencing here. But let's not get bogged down in personalities because... The fact is, the future is dependent upon all of us. Let's admit that for some reason, all of us, in our own way, find this a very hard discipline, keeping the truth up front in consciousness, holding it as among the highest values. Why do we humans have such a hard time seeing what's been there all along? Why do we put up with lesser things, bad things, even joining ourselves to them from time to time? Why do we discount, discredit, and belittle the better things, nobler things that upbuild human 
community. Why do we choose some sort of golden calf instead? This issue is at the heart of the spiritual journey. Keeping a focus on the truth in daily consciousness. As far as I'm concerned, addressing this matter is about as relevant as it gets. <laughs>